السلام علیکم ورحمت اللہ وبرکاتہ وآلیکم السلام اشہد واللہ الہ الا اللہ وحدہ لا شریک لہ واشہد ان محمد عبده ورسوله اما بعد فاعوذ باللہ من الشیطان الرجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم من المؤمنین رجال صدقوا ما عاهدوا اللہ علیه فمنهم من قضا نحبه ومنهم من ينتظر وما بدلوا تبدلا وآخرين منهم لما يلحقوا بهم وهو العزيز الحكيم Gentlemen, we're in troubling times when our faith is facing attacks from all angles. We are in trouble and at war. That war that can only be fought with the prostrations and the tears of the night. We all made promises to ourselves and to our Creator that we are part of that chosen community of Allah Almighty. We all made 10 commitments in the conditions of birth. And we promised ourselves that we will fulfill those commitments until our last breath. Sometimes we need to pause and go back and reflect and ponder upon those 10 commitments and ask ourselves sincerely where we stand compared to where we should be. Today I shall focus on just one of those conditions, and that is condition number eight of the 10 conditions of birth, that he or she shall hold faith, the honor of faith, and the cause of Islam dearer to him or her than his or her own life, wealth, honor, children, and all other dear ones. As you've already heard, the topic of my speech is a saying of the Holy Prophet that my companions are like stars, focusing on the young companions. We read in the Holy Quran, Allah Almighty tells us, that you have in the Messenger of Allah a complete model. Now what best way could we conduct ourselves better than the way the Holy Prophet conducted himself and the way he brought up those astounding stars around him in the form of the Sahaba? What better way can we conduct ourselves? How did he live? And how did they follow his examples? Now it so happens that when we narrate the experiences of the Sahaba, we tend to hold them to be like stories. But gentlemen, I want us to be honest to ourselves today. Let's think of these not as stories. These are things that actually happen. And let's be sincere and ask ourselves what we would do if we were in that situation of the Sahaba. An inspiring reminder, however, is that when all this started, when the Holy Prophet ﷺ was commissioned by Allah Almighty, almost in a form of a secret, Allah Almighty told him in the Holy Quran, to convey the message to his close relatives. The Holy Prophet ﷺ invited Banu Hashim over a meal, and he told him about the mission that was at hand. And he asked them, who will be with me and support me to establish the unity of Allah Almighty and to get rid of polytheism? There was pin drop silence in the room. But then what happened? A young and sharp voice, yet a very bold voice of the youngest person in the room, 10 years old, Hazrat Ali who stood up and he took a vow, took those responsibilities on his shoulders and he said, though I'm the weakest 
and the youngest of all those who are present here. I shall support you. And then laughter and mockery broke because those people on one side saw an illiterate man, as they would say, and on the other side was a 10-year-old boy who was weak to them. But then the Holy Prophet asked the same question again. No other answer came other than that from that 10-year-old boy. The interesting thing is that we have those Ali's in front of us today. These young boys that are serving around water, we need to tap into them, give them that sole responsibility, and they will shine like stars and be ever devoted to the Khilafat of Ahmadiyyat. We read in the Holy Quran a verse that gives us a summary of the life of the Holy Prophet that say, O Messenger of Allah, that my prayer and my sacrifice and my life and my death are all for Allah, the Lord of all the worlds. The companions were motivated and their spirits were lifted whenever they were around the Holy Prophet and they were inspired by him. And this drew, a magnetic force drew them to the personality of the Holy Prophet we know about Hazrat Musab bin Umair, who was known all over Mecca. He was the most well-dressed, the rich, handsome young man before he accepted Islam. But then when he accepted Islam, he was boycotted. Even his own parents locked him up. And when he escaped those shackles, he went to the Holy Prophet who advised the Muslims to migrate to Abyssinia, which is present-day Ethiopia. When he came back, the Holy Prophet sent him, that young man, as the first missionary and he went to Medina to propagate the message of Islam. And he convinced them to invite the Holy Prophet ﷺ because he was being rejected by his own people. And when the Holy Prophet ﷺ would see Hazrat Musa bin Umair later, his eyes would be filled with tears. He would cry because he remembered that rich young man who would sacrifice and turn away from all this vanity, all this wealth that he had to submit himself to the mission of the Holy Prophet The Sahaba would bow their heads down when they saw Hazrat Musa bin Umair. And when he was martyred, the Holy Prophet stood over the body. And when they covered his feet, Hazrat Musa bin Umair's face and body would be bare. He didn't have enough, enough cloth to cover his body. And when they covered his face and, and head, his feet would be bare. The Holy Prophet with tears rolling down his cheek, he looked at us at Musa bin Umair and recited the verse that I started with. Among the believers are men who have been true to their covenants they made with Allah. Some of them have fulfilled their vow and there are others who wait. And they have not changed in the least. When the Holy Prophet migrated to Medina, one of the young men, a 10-year-old Anas bin Malik, he was one of those people in the front line on raising slogans, Ja'a Rasulullah, Ja'a Rasulullah. He was happy that the Messenger of Allah has arrived. It was as if the whole world was condensed and presented to him. And then his happiness reached a peak when his mother went to the Holy Prophet and said, Oh Messenger of Allah, men come to you with all sorts of sacrifices, but I have nothing to offer you. But here is my 10-year-old boy, Anas bin Malik. He will be with you. He will stay with you and he will serve you. From that day until the demise of the Holy Prophet every day before dawn, as that Anas bin Malik would show his face, he would provide water for the Holy Prophet ﷺ to do wudu. And in the daytime, he would show up and do the household work. Up to 100 years later after that, when he passed away, over 110 years old, he was proud of the fact that he walked around with the name 
Ghulami Rasul, that he was the servant of the Messenger of Allah. <clears throat> now, when we look at the life of the Arabs before the Holy Prophet Sallallahu advent, drinking alcohol was a norm. In fact, in every household, almost every household, five times a day, alcohol would be served. And when a guest would be received, the first thing that a wife would do was to serve them some alcohol to drink. It was normal. But then with one verse of the Holy Quran, the Sahaba turned away. Something that was held as a form of virtue became filled into their eyes. And even the youngest amongst them, the youngest Sahaba who, tend to, who could have been tempted, turned away from this and never came back to it again. Think about this, just one verse, something that was held for, genera for generations. And they turned away from it just because of one verse of the Holy Quran. Young Hazrat Usman bin Mad'un, he was the son of a chief of Makkah, an influential man. But when he accepted Islam at a, at a very young age, persecution started. And he was one of those that migrated to Abyssinia. When he came back, his uncle, Labid bin Mughira, knew that Muslims would face the same fate. So he came to him and he offered him an oath. And Arabs were very proud of their oath. And he said, no one would dare touch you because you are my nephew. And he took an oath from him. But Usman bin Maldun realized that while I'm at peace, the Holy Prophet was being persecuted. And the Sahaba were being persecuted. So he went to his uncle and he said, I do not need this protection anymore. So one day as he was sitting, and Labid, this was a very proud poet, very well-known poet in Arabia. He was reciting his poetry. And he recited the couplet, everything beside Allah is vain. And all graces must ultimately come to an end. Hazrat Uthman bin Mad'un agreed with the first part. But in the second one, which says that all graces must ultimately come to an end, he stood up and he challenged Labid bin Mughira and he said, no, the graces of paradise will never come to an end. Labid being who he is, he was furious and angry because no one dared to challenge him. One of the chiefs of Makkah stood up and he hit Hazrat Usman bin Mad'un in the face, but he couldn't hit the faith out of him, plucking out one of his eyes. His uncle, Labid bin Mughira, ran to him and said, Labid, uh, and said, Usman, if you hadn't renounced the protection that I offered you, today this wouldn't have happened to you. He looked at his uncle in the face. What do you say, uncle, as you lament for one, one of my eyes? In fact, my other eye is longing for the same fate. We want no peace when the Holy Prophet and his companions are being persecuted. This was one man who was offered the protection that no one would dare to touch him. But because he wanted to be in the same fate, in the same condition, as the Holy Prophet ﷺ was in, he renounced that protection. And, in fact, this was... Gentlemen, there are many of such narrations. We know about the young Zubair bin Alwam, who grew up later to become one of the great generals of Islam. When he was young and he accepted Islam, his own uncle wrapped him up in a mat and put him over fire and he smoked him just because of his faith. And then he suffocated him. But these men knew nothing about recanting their faith. 
persecution was something that changed the golden personalities of these individuals to shine even more. As Hazrat Muslim would say, Jab sona aag the most intense of these we find in the narration of Hazrat Abdul Rahman bin Auf in the Battle of Uhud. Now, this was a battle that the fate of a soldier would be determined by the two people on their sides. And he had two small boys on his sides, on the left and his right. And he was, he was trying to compose himself to um, digest this thought. One of the boys tapped him on the side and he said, Uncle, who is Abu Jahl? Who is that man that we've heard of that keeps persecuting the Holy Prophet when he was in Makkah? Show me that man. And as he was trying to think about that, the other boy on the other side also tapped to his side and he said, asked the same question as if they were asking in secrecy. He says that before he could, he could finish identifying Abu Jahl, these two soldiers of Allah marched through the enemy lines. And Abu, Abu, Abu Jahl and the soldiers around him were dumbstruck and he mixed Abu Jahl into dust. But then we know about the sacrifice of time. In most of the hadiths that we narrate, Hazrat Abu Huraira relates. This was a young man who accepted Islam and he migrated with his mother to Medina. Now you would think he spent a lot of time with the Holy Prophet No, he didn't. He migrated in the seventh year after Hijr. That means Hazrat Abu Huraira spent three or maximum four years with the Holy Prophet and then what happened? This man sacrificed his food and his drink. He would say that he wanted to catch up with the other companions because they had spent so much time with him. He was motivated. He would starve. He narrates that one day he was starving. He would even tie stones to his belly just to, to, to control his hunger. He said he was sitting outside the door of the Holy Prophet while he was starving and he was listening to those pearls of wisdom. And as Abu Bakr passed by and he asked him a verse of the Holy Quran, which talks about feeding the poor. As Abu Bakr who explained and he went past. As Umar came, he asked him the same thing and he explained and he passed. And then the Holy Prophet realized what was really happening. Because Abu Huraira was someone that would, he would pass out in the, midst of, in the streets of Medina because of hunger. The Holy Prophet asked him, Abu Huraira, are you hungry? He said, yes, O Messenger of Allah. Then he took him to his house and he gave him some milk to get rid of that hunger. Sahaba se mila jab mujko paya. These narrations, these experiences haven't come to an end, gentlemen. There was a time when Islam was facing difficulties. When Islam, it was as if it was facing its last breath. The enemies were waiting to pounce on the carcass of Islam to completely finish it off. The enemy loaded a poison to sting it into the spine of a nation that was falling from every angle. And this was the time that Allah Almighty intervened. His mercy manifested himself, itself, and he raised the, Holy, the promised Messiah والسلام, to establish the Jamaat in 1889. The teachings and the unimaginable communion of the promised Messiah and the experiences that he had with Allah Almighty brought those experiences of the Sahaba from the books of history into the personalities of the people that surrounded the Promised Messiah And the peak of these devotions can be seen in the 19-year-old Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmoud Ahmad Sahib 
when the Prophet passed away, he stood over his body and said, even if all people leave you and I am left alone, I would stand by you and would face all opposition and onslaughts against your mission. These were not just mere emotions. They were filled with conviction and loyalty. This was more than a child would express himself when he lost his father. In fact, this was the emotions of a servant who has lost the prophet of the age. And then at the age of 25, very young, he was given a responsibility to take over the reins as the Khalifa of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Jamaat. He was opposed because of his age. People thought he was young, but he proved everyone, everyone wrong. And he moved the Jamaat through the roughest of times, and he established systems that the Jamaat will continue to stand on as long as this world exists. Gentlemen, even the smallest boys, look at them around you, 10, 7, 8, 9 years old. At the time of the Prophet, he once addressed his companions at, at his house, and he told them about his wish to establish a school where people will gain knowledge and spread and propagate the message of Islam throughout the world. In that very sitting, one of the Sahaba of the Prophet, Azad Ghulam Rasul Sahib, Wazirabadi, he picked up a seven-year-old boy instantly, immediately, without going home to think about it. And he handed his hand over to the Promised Messiah and said, here is my sacrifice. And the Promised Messiah, knowing the caliber of sacrifice in his companions, he didn't tell him to go back home and think about it and digest the thought. He accepted him and immediately said, register this boy, Hafiz Ubaidullah. And he later became a missionary of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Jamaat. And he served in Mauritius. And according to Hazrat Muslim, he became the first Shaheed of India. We know what happened here in 1920 when Hazrat Mufti Muhammad Sadiq Sahib came to us in full package. But what happened when this man was 18 years old? He rode on a horse cart from Batala all the way to Qadian. And he saw the promised Messiah on his first glance and he was blown away. Immediately he had to do bad. He couldn't wait. But they didn't stop there while he was going to school. He was going to school in Jammu for five years. And any time there was holidays, he would run to Qadian to be with the Prophet And then he was in Lahore, which is 100 kilometers from Qadian. Every single weekend, every Sunday, he would run to Qadian to be with the Prophet And he would be writing down notes of the sayings of the Promised Messiah, an initiative, and he would send it out to the world, to London and all over India and Africa to inspire the people that followed this Jamaat. And when he would return back to Lahore, people would ask him, what has the Imam said? Update us about the situation of our Imam. And Malvi Abdul Karim Sahib Siyalkoti says about this devotion of Mufti Muhammad Sadiq Sahib I see Mufti Muhammad Sadiq here on every day he has leave from work. He, like an eagle, is ready to pounce upon any spare moment to snatch it away from the powerful worldly forces to be in the company of his beloved master. The Promised Messiah says, the true verity of Islam can only be assimilated when one devotes completely one's whole self with all one's hidden and visible faculties and fulfills all the trust that has been placed in him by Allah the Almighty not only in belief, but also by practice. <coughs> we know about Hazrat Ghulam Rasul Sahib Rajiki, who traveled the world at a very young age 
to gain religious knowledge. And then at the age of 18, he joined the company of the Prophet The moment he saw him, he knew he was right. He fell on his feet and he started weeping and crying. And he presented himself as a servant of the promised Messiah and Imam Mahdi of the age. But when this young 18-year-old man headed back to his village, there was a crowd that knew about him converting to Ahmadiyya. 18 years old. There was Malvis, there was family, there was relatives, and there were other influential people that had a gathering. And they wanted him to recant his faith. But no. In fact, he started giving arguments about the truth of the Prophet They abused him, insulted him. But what happens when Allah Almighty sees his servant going through like that? What does a mother do when she sees her child being hurt? She draws the child onto herself. That is what Allah Almighty did with Ghulam Rasul Sahib Rajiki Because the verse of the Holy Quran tells us, That surely there is ease after difficulty. A, there is ease after difficulty. He says that after that opposition that I faced, Allah Almighty manifested himself to me in a way that I never imagined. And he sent a revelation to me, Malvi Ghulam Rasul, Jawan Saleh Karamati. And we all know what happened after that. He became a saint of Islam, a recipient of revelation, and a servant of the first and second Khilafat of Ahmadiyya. Hazrat Maulana Abdul Rahim Sahib Nayyar, another founding figure in Africa. He did a lot of research and he read prophecies and he asked questions about the promised Messiah coming and he prayed to be one of those who accept the Imam Mahdi of the age when he appears. And then he was directed by a Mulvi to where a man claimed to be the promised Messiah. When he went there, the same thing. He accepted him. And that same Mulvi that directed him to Qadiyan to meet the promised Messiah, the moment he saw him, he called him an apostate. And opposition started. Everyone turned against him, as if the whole world turned against him. But he says that one strange thing happened, even though I had just accepted Ahmadiyyat, but because of the opposition that I was facing, I knew that there was something behind this. He didn't know much about Ahmadiyyat, but the opposition made him strong and he stayed. And then he would say, whenever my eyes would fall on the Prophet Muhammad, I swear by God, I remember the statement of the Holy Prophet that whoever sees me, sees Allah. And the statement of the, Holy, the Promised Messiah that whoever draws a distinction between me and Mustafa has not accepted me. Gentlemen, there were those days that the Sahaba wore patched and torn clothes and sat on dry mat. And they talked about conquering the world and establishing the unity of Allah, spiritual unity of Allah and his Jamaat in this world. Where are we today? We sit on soft sofas and we fly in airplanes, drive flashy cars. We have all these facility, facilities with us. What do we do with it? Can we not achieve more than even what the Sahaba have achieved if we are truly committed to this? These children that we see today, we do not expect anyone to come down from the skies to create that Sahaba-like Jamaat. These are the children that we need to invest into. These are the youngsters that will make this Jamaat what the Prophet Muhammad wants it to be what the Khalifa of the time always talks about. What else can we ask for? We always give excuses that it was a spiritual environment, that there was a prophet with them. We have Khilafat. This is something that Muslims have cried for for centuries because the promise was there in the Holy Quran. We sit here today, we have the system of Khilafat. 
that assurance that will always be with us as a protection. What do we do with it? Allah Almighty tells us that if you are grateful, then I increase you in bounties. But if you are ungrateful, you should know that my punishment is severe. Gentlemen, it's time to come home to the lap of the Khalifa. He stands in front of us every single week, consistently, without fail, calling us towards the ark that can only save us, guiding us about things that will benefit us in this life and in the hereafter. Let's follow the statement of the Holy Quran, that hold on to the, to the rope of Allah and do not be divided. I close with a quote from Hazrat Musim Looking at the lives of the companions, one realizes that they never loved their own lives and were always ready to lay down their lives. Bad means to sell your life. When a person has devoted his life, then why bring this world into it? He further states, after all, the companions of the Holy Prophet had their relationship with this world. They had properties and they had wealth, but their lives were revolutionized to such an extent that they gave up everything at once and decided that for us, our Allah is everything. If we transform ourselves like that, there is no heavenly blessing that is better than that. وآخر دعوانا أن الحمد لله رب العالمين